Amen. Are you glad to be here? Are you glad to be back? I'm so glad to be back. I'm trying to peek at some of your houses. I missed you. I won't ask you if you missed me because I'm not sure I want the answer. Well, thank you, whoever that was. I'm taking you to lunch. It was kind of exciting, though, to draw houses and to kind of get a feel for each other's lives. There's something about homes, how we picture home, how we draw homes, um, that really does say something about us. Sixteen years ago, Jeff and I began to look for a new home, largely due to the needs of our severely disabled daughter, Aubrey. But when we drove up to 657 North Pleasant Avenue, we decided we really didn't want to get out of the car curbside it was not where we pictured our children growing up where we pictured us growing old curbside we were struck by the lack of windows this is the home but this was a, taken a couple years later and when we drove up there were no bushes literally grass and the front of the house is just walls we were struck by the lack of windows but we went ahead and were coaxed inside once inside Sunlight filtered through the entire house, many windows facing the backyard. Here our children have grown up, and here we are getting old. (laughs) What I didn't realize is that Jeff and my desire for more windows for our family home was a window into how we saw our family life playing out an insight into our personalities, how we wanted to interact with our neighborhood and what we wanted to be as a family. Did you know that there are personality tests and intelligent assessment tests based on how you draw a house? You're going to be turning them in. (laughs) John Buck developed the house tree person test where you draw a house, a tree, or a person designed to measure the aspect of a person's personality. It's a diagnostic tool for clinical psychologists, educators, and employees, and it evaluates how one draws a house based on the symbolic meaning of a home being a place of nurturing. Too little of a home, the client is maybe rejecting family life. Too big, might be that they're overwhelmed by it. Windows, doors, and sidewalks are ways to enter or see into the house, so they relate to openness, willingness to interact with others. Shades, shutters, bars, curtains, and long winding sidewalks reveal an unwillingness to reveal much about yourself. Now, you all want to pull out those drawings again, don't you? (laughs) Maybe you could just use them as a prayer request. (laughs) Child psychologists as well have found drawings, particularly a child's drawing of his or her home, to be an effective way for a child to express how they're feeling inside about their life. One expert explains, if you are looking carefully at your child's house illustration, the number of or absence of windows can provide insight. An inordinate amount of windows may represent an openness to communicate with people, but it could also be a child wishing somebody could see in as to what's happening. Children who have healthy social interaction will likely draw a typical walkway to the front door. So adults and children alike. When we draw a house, we draw more than a picture. We draw life being played out. So too are the parables of Jesus. They draw a picture for us, as we will see in our study, but more than a picture. Jesus' parables are windows into a familiar life being played out not so familiarly. 
They're another world, another kingdom that is calling this kingdom into question. It's a kingdom that is rejected by some and longed for by others. And this is key, as we will see, as to why Jesus spoke in parables. So will you stand with me? And let's hear what Jesus says to his disciples when he is asked, why do you speak in parables? Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. Then the disciples came, to, came and said to him, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he, Jesus, answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their, uh, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Father, we thank you for your word, the parts we get and the parts that are mysterious and the secrets and the mysteries and that you would want to reveal yourself to us. Oh Lord, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear by the power of your Holy Spirit, hearts softened and turning that we too might be healed for Jesus' sake. Amen. You can have a seat. So from Matthew 18, Matthew 13, um, tonight, as a way of introduction to our study of the parables, I am praying, as we just did, that God will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand Jesus' words in Matthew 13 here as to why he spoke in parables to describe the kingdom and its king. So let's first look at the kingdom. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Jesus spoke in parables to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. He, that's what he tells his disciples. He's giving them parables in a parable-telling culture, but with a distinctive voice. And I think that's really important to remember, that in Jesus' day, parable-telling was very common. Jesus spoke into the culture in a way the people knew. That is his love for us. Yet he spoke with a distinctive voice because guess what? He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the very son of God. So he gives his parables in a parable-telling culture, but with a distinctive voice or a distinctive passion. Jesus' parables, unlike those in his day, are more than tales. They are more than moral lessons. Jesus' parables were, are intended to shock his hearers into exploring their possible meanings through unlikely comparisons, through unexpected outcomes. Each word is crucial to understanding the whole. It all matters. They are windows into the world of Jesus. The parables uncover the reality that another kingdom is calling this kingdom into question. And every single word is a clue to the nature of this kingdom. So the parables are given in a parable-telling culture with a distinctive passion or voice. And Jesus also gives the parables with a distinctive purpose. 
See, his parables are given to incite, to call to action, without telling us how. They're open-ended metaphors. They're puzzling. They're silent. J.D. Crossan explains it this way. We are frightened by the lonely silences within the parables. We want them to tell us exactly what to do, and they refuse to answer. If you are a control freak, they are going to drive you nuts. But hopefully they'll help you become less of a control freak to, to your joy. The parables give us a sense of direction without a detailed map. They're not tied up neatly. These are not Hallmark movies. We cannot predict the end. They're cliffhangers. They create a world like this one, yet radically unlike it. Something's familiar, but something is, someone, one of these things doesn't belong. It's an unfamiliar world colliding with this one. Prodigals can come home and be loved as if they never left. The hated can love her enemy. The least are actually the greatest. The parables tease each mind and each mind differently because we come to them with a different thought. Both Jesus' parables and the differing responses given to, given to his parables recorded in scripture are given to call us back to another listen. God didn't record for us in his word just Jesus telling the parables. He gave us the responses the varying responses, the rejection, the acceptance, the confusion, the scratching of the head. And each one of these responses, as well as Jesus' parable, calls us back. Why did he respond that way? I better go back and listen and see what he's responding to or she is responding to. These are all keys to how God's kingdom is breaking into ours and the nature of that kingdom. And ladies, our privilege is to stand at the back of Jesus' original audience and listen to what he is saying to them first. Our privilege is to stand at the back of Jesus' original audience and listen to what he is saying to them first. We must do that. This will protect us against reading into the parables everything we want to read in them because guess what? You're going to want to read into those parables what you want to read into them. And you will miss the joy that God has planned for us if we do that. And so in your written study, you're going to find some commentary in there that gives you background of the culture. And that is given to you purposefully so that we don't become storytellers, but we become story listeners for God's glory and our joy. Again, we come to things with our own perspective, and to get outside of our own perspective and to hear from Jesus' original audience, we find clues to the mystery of the kingdom. When my son was in grad school, he was going to grad school in Washington, D.C. The Air Force sent him there. He is a pilot with the Air Force. And so when he was in grad school, he was dating a girl from the South. And together, they did a day trip to Gettysburg. She's from the South. Austin's not. So my husband wisely asked, how did it go? And he said, it was really intense. We see the Battle of Gettysburg very differently. And that is how we approach these parables. We come at them with our own perspective. And we will miss all that Jesus has to say if we don't first stand back with his original audience. And then by the Holy Spirit, he will then show us then how to bring that into our world. If the cultural context of Jesus' parables is ignored, the meaning of his parables will be lost. Again, we will risk becoming storytellers rather than hearers. We will miss the life-changing purpose of his parables. 
I'll never forget the first time I heard someone teach the parables of Jesus from a Middle Eastern perspective. This was long before Tim Keller's very popular book, The Prodigal God. And I believe that book became so popular because he was the first one to really get it out there and tell the story of the prodigal son through Middle Eastern eyes. And when you look at the prodigal son between, from Middle Eastern eyes, you find that when the prodigal son says, Father, I want half of my inheritance. Could I please have it? It's not exactly what he meant. He was saying to his father, drop dead. I'd rather you be dead. And the father's rightful response through Middle Eastern eyes in ancient culture would have been to, at the very least, slap him and kick him out of the home and at the most to kill him. So when that son comes home and the father runs to him, we now know that this parable is not about a son. This parable is about a father. And we also realize it's about two sons. See how it changes when we come at it with that Middle Eastern perspective, when we stand back and we look at the parables from the back of the audience of Jesus, we will find the scandalous love of God and this amazing kingdom that is breaking in and calling ours into question. But more so than the culture is the history of God and his people. We must look, look at the parables within the context of the entire arch of God's word, of the history of God and his people from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. If we don't take into consideration the context in which Jesus has come to share these parables, we will miss their meaning too. So just briefly, so to make sure we're all on the same page, at creation, Genesis 1, the first man and woman woman lived not on Paradise Avenue, but in paradise itself. No sickness, no sorrow, no sin, or the death that it now brings into this world. They lived in perfect relationship with their father, the Lord God, their creator. Imagine the house Adam and Eve would have drawn to depict their life in Genesis 2. They would have been naked. Genesis 3 recounts their distrusting of their creator. To their own destruction, they reject heaven's household rules. And a new world of sin and suffering called paradise into question. Imagine their drawing then. Bars on the windows for sure. All is lost or is it? In Genesis 3, God offers the first man and woman a glimpse of his promised eternal plan to make a way back home. Thousands of years later, God sent his son Jesus to not only reveal God's kingdom, but also what the prophets and righteous people long to see, the way back in. In John 14, just hours before his death on a cross, Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we will see through our study, the parables of Jesus are given to uncover this plan of God 
to fulfill his promise to bring us home. For those given ears to hear, the parables are a house into which we are invited to live now and once inside to look at the world very differently as we look through its windows. See, my life experiences have created a home and there are windows in which I look out of. I have a severely disabled daughter. I have an adopted interracial daughter. I have a son in the Air Force. There have been things that we have walked through in our family. There are things we are walking through now. And all those create this house in which I look through its windows. Jesus is calling us to bring that house into his house and to look at things through his windows. I got the stomach flu just after moving into our home on Pleasant Avenue. I hadn't had the stomach flu in years, and thank you, Jesus, I have not had it since. Oh, that's like the least favorite, right? Something about being sick, you just want to be home. And even though this was a brand new home for me, new smells, new sights, somehow I felt I was home. And I knew then we were home. In this world, ladies, you and I are affected by both sorrow and sin, leaving us longing for home. The parables of Jesus show us the way home into the kingdom of our God. And it's not that we don't feel terrible. It's not that the sin and the sorrow doesn't deeply affect us and hurt us. But when we look at it through the windows of the kingdom, we taste a comfort, a perspective, an understanding that is a foretaste of the kingdom's fulfillment. Some of you are dealing with loss. Some of you are dealing with sickness. Some of you are dealing with betrayal, disability, divorce. These have infected our lives, bringing sorrow. When we are able to see those, though, through the window of the kingdom, forgiveness is born, peace is accessible, hope is there. It's a foretaste of the kingdom's fulfillment, a world no longer infected by both sorrow and sin. And this is the house, this is the kingdom Jesus is inviting us in through his parables. But why does he hide it in parables? Why doesn't he just say it in plain words? Jesus spoke in parables not just to reveal the secrets of the kingdom, but also to hide the secrets of the kingdom. Because his message hardens hearts his message not only softens some hearts but it hardens other hearts d.a carson says it this way jesus tells parables because in line with scripture as prophesied by isaiah his message blinds deafens and hardens the truth itself prompts elicits brings forth unbelief The secrets of the kingdom are hidden due to a distinctive passion of Jesus. Jesus knew people would refuse him because of his message. John 8, 45, listen to what Jesus says, staggering words. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And do we not know this in our own life? Somebody tells us a truth that hurts, and guess what? We don't want to hear it, and we are hardened to that truth, and we are hardened to that person. And what is the truth that is hardening hearts towards Jesus? John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're like me, there was a day when that truth hardened you. That's exclusive. That's not fair. What about those who don't know Jesus? You know, you just go down the list. And it hardens your heart. It's a message that does harden hearts. It is fighting words. Sometimes the truth itself damns us. Sometimes it hardens us, blinds us, makes us deaf due to a corrupt worldview, a guilty conscience, a God-forsaken hatred of all things other than me first. Ultimately, that's the problem. Tim Keller says, ultimately, the gospel is offensive. The good news of Jesus, me, you need to come through me, Christ alone, faith alone, Ultimately, the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation. It's fighting words because you're telling me I'm not good enough. I can't do enough to earn my way. Tim Keller goes on to explain, we love to be our own saviors, to glory in ourselves. We find messages of self-salvation extremely attractive, whether they are religious, keep these rules and you earn an eternal blessing, or secular, Grab hold of these things, and you can experience blessing now. Oh, ladies, is this not you? Because this is certainly me. And it's not just BC me, before Christ me. It's still sometimes me, all too often. These are the houses we were born living in and played out our life from within. The secrets of the kingdom are hidden for distinctive people. Jesus' message may yet open the eyes of that were once blind, ears that were once deaf. Because of the hardness of their hearts, Jesus' enemies often heard just cute little stories. Refusing to see what is below the surface, they became further blinded. By using parables, though, Jesus' enemies refused to see and understand. What they refused to see and understand, they would carry with them. So as he talks about these seeds that hit the rocky path and the seeds that hit the, the good soil and the seeds that the birds take away and the seeds that are choked, they would be walking down the path and they would see a bird take a seed. And that parable might then speak again. And the heart may be softened by God. I love that about Jesus, that though Jesus' enemies refused to see and understand, he spoke in parables that they would carry it away with them. And again, as they observed the birds picking up seeds on hard paths, plants choked by weeds, plants withering on rocky ledges, they would have further opportunity to see with opened eyes by God the kingdom they once refused to see. Ladies, a heart unprepared today may be prepared tomorrow. I am a testimony of that. And so are you. And that this week we will look at the parable of the wheat and weeds that describes this, that Jesus describes this reality. And this brings in that tension, and we'll see this a lot this week's parables of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Does God soften the heart and harden the heart? Do we soften our own hearts? Does God save us and we don't have any option? Do we save ourselves? And, and I love what D.A. Carson says, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, our responsibility to respond, are not mysteries to be solved. They are a framework to be explored. We think they are enemies and they are friends. They are both taught in scriptures and right there in, in Matthew 13, we see both. The parables serve to hide and reveal the truth, sometimes to the same person. Veiling it as long as the heart is hard and revealing it when softening is given. 
See, Jesus spoke in parables because his message blinds, deafens, hardens the human heart, yet also has the power to reveal, illuminate, and so transform it, and it might be the same heart. While the parables judge the hardness of the human heart, it was also a device of love, repeated chances, the love of our God, the nature of his kingdom. We see it described in Ezekiel and 2 Peter. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, God says, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach to repentance. Ladies, we're going to study parables that at the end, Jesus continues to offer an invitation to the hardest of hearts, the meanest And you're going to say, no, Jesus. And he's going to say, yes, I did that for you. It's amazing, our God. Yes. As there came a time for Jesus to speak in parables because the opposition against him was increasing, so there came a time for him to stop speaking in parables. In Matthew 13, the disciples that we just read asked why he began speaking in parables. And then in the hours before his death, his disciples say, ah, Now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Why did Jesus stop? It was time to not just reveal the secrets of the kingdom, but make it possible through his kingship being both hidden and revealed. He is the king. And it was hidden for a purpose that he was the king. You know, he came to earth. He could have come a very different way. He could have showed the whole world he was king, but he came and he hid his identity. Hearts hardened by Jesus' parables, rejecting him as king, were used to ensure his kingdom. The opposition that eventually called for his death became the doorway into God's kingdom for you and me. See, Jesus lived the life Adam and Eve couldn't, perfectly obeying every household rule of God. And guess what happened? People were healed and forgiven. They were given hope and joy. Jesus' words and Jesus' miraculous works brought the kingdom of God here, calling this kingdom into question. And Jesus' execution, his trial and his execution, he did not defend his reign as king. He could have come off that cross and wiped us all out. He did not defend his reign as king to ensure his kingdom as foretold. No, the cross was where Jesus went to prepare a place for us back home. The cross is the way back home. Isaiah 53, 7 and 10, prophesying how God would make a way home through a suffering servant fulfilled in Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And ladies, let this blow your mind. While he's on the earth, knowing what he will do to become the door into the kingdom, he says to his disciples, fear not. Like They don't need to fear. He's the one going to the cross. Fear not, little flock. 
for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It was not just the will of God and father and son for Jesus to be crushed. It was their pleasure that they could bring paradise back for you and me. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom we lost and to ensure the way back through his life, death, resurrection, and his return. Yet it is God who reveals to us who Jesus is. He is revealed by God with a distinct passion. And here's where we wrap up and jump into our study. That those he died for would see with opened eyes, hear with opened ears, understand with softened hearts what Jesus has done. Turn to him in faith and be healed. Forgiven, restored, hope, joy, promise. So why parables today? You know, the disciples didn't know. They didn't understand fully he was going to go to the cross and he was going to rise from the dead. The parables were hints into that. And after Jesus did die and resurrect, a lot of the parables made sense. Why do we need the parables today? Why not just rely on the plain truths of God's word about the kingdom of God and Jesus at its door? We know what happened. Because the kingdom is more than an idea. It's more than logic or reasoning. It is something we enter into. It's something we live within and see the world through. Eyes to see, ears to hear are given by God with distinct power. Jesus' parables are living and transforming when by the power of the Holy Spirit, we let them nail us right between the eyes, bring us in, compel us to participate. Given with distinct power by the Holy Spirit, we will do more than interpret a parable, sit around, scratch our head and say, oh, I think it meant this, I think it meant that. We'll risk doing it, jumping in. We will lose control. We will be torn apart. We will have our own little queendoms gloriously shattered by his kingdom. Herman Hendricks of the parables of Jesus says, A parable saying should never return empty. No, because we have the Holy Spirit. Christians are those who have entered in. They are becoming parable people, evidencing their king and bringing about the fulfillment of his kingdom, replacing that will replace this one for all eternity. After we moved from curbside to actually entering into 657 North Pleasant Avenue, my father-in-law, who was our realtor, we walked into the house and we just knew it was it. And he just looked at Jeff and he said, you want a pen? <laughs> like, sign the contract and move in. And we did within 30 days. We signed the contract that day and we were in. This has been my prayer for you and me through the writing of this study and now getting to experience it with you, that we will, we will move in. There will be many parables, sisters, that, you, that do not have any curb appeal. You're not going to like them, like forgiving 70 times 7, which really is just a round number forever. <laughs> there will be parables that we will not want to enter into. There will be parables we want to run into, but there will be parables that will make us uncomfortable, even outraged. Our hearts are in process. 
Don't you love that Jesus uses parables to keep us learning and remembering, and it goes deeper? We will, there will be times we will not see the parables as Jesus' device of love because we can't on our own. We will need the distinct power of the Holy Spirit within and with our sisters. If you are among those tonight who have not known that there is a greater kingdom calling this one into question, know that we're all with you. We've all been there. And we're all wrestling together. Together we are asking God to reveal things hidden. Together we are asking for eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand that together we might turn and be healed. And sisters, if you have already had eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that has turned to Jesus and been healed through the forgiveness of your sins, there's so much more. He wants to give us more. He wants to give us abundance. And when he does, it is my prayer that we will be so lost in the wonder of his grace and goodness, of the grace and goodness of Jesus' kingdom parables calling our world into question, that we'll just be so lost in the wonder that we fall down and worship. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Oh, Lord, again, we thank you. We praise you. We want to give you all the honor and glory that we can express, that you would choose to reveal yourself to us, that you would break your kingdom into this one, that you would give your only son to make a way back. What love. The Father has lavished upon us that we might be called children of God. We praise you. We thank you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a softened heart to respond in turn. And we will be expectant of how you will heal in ways we could have never imagined. For Jesus' sake and our joy. Amen.